Let's open our Bibles for the scripture reading. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Again, good morning. I'm still working on this whole microphone thing. Uh, I'm Rob. If we haven't met, supposedly I've been here a long time. But uh, we're looking at the ingredients of a new beginning. We're talking about restarting and rethinking and renewing and what it means to have a new beginning in our lives. Because I think most of us want moments of new beginnings. We want to believe that even if we've been doing something a long time or even when if, if we've been living a long time, that there is still new beginnings that God has for us. And that's the thing that I hope that you're hearing as we go through this series, that it's more about engaging our soul than it is about managing our activities. That God wants to do something in us that we can't do on our own. And like we talked about last week, anytime Jesus is present, then there's a chance for a new beginning. Because Jesus changes everything for everyone. And last week we looked at the fact that he's not just a teacher or just a prophet or just a healer. That he is all of those things and more. And that we can experience a renewal if we invite Jesus into our whole lives. Not just our Monday through, or not just our Sunday life, but our Monday through Saturday life as well. At Restoration, we call that being Christ-centered. It's a value of ours. It's one of our big values. In fact, it's so big that if you look at our logo, you'll see that in the very center of the logo is actually a cross because we want Jesus to be in the center of everything. You see how we subtly do that? It's like, ooh, someone was really artistic with that. It was amazing. Yeah, thanks. I didn't do it. Um, I, I mean, seriously, I was really impressed with the artists who did. But Jesus is central to everything for everyone all the time. And I think that's beautiful. But I also think it's really easy for me to get distracted. Like, I like technology. 
I don't know if any of you like technology, but I might like technology enough to watch product release parties. Um, I read articles like, are you a geek or a nerd? Uh, you can ask me later, I'll tell you which one. Um, and even though I'm not quite as up to date as I used to be, I have friends who keep me close. Like a month ago or so, uh, I got to drive my friend's car that uh, had autopilot assist. So technically, I really didn't drive it. We just were one pizza short. And so he's like, hey, do you want to drive? And I said, sure. And so I drove. And he's like, OK, hit that button. Now take your hands off the wheel. It was awesome. Um, it's like the Jetsons. There you go. <laughs> Old reference, new reference. Anyway. Um, uh, another friend wasn't sure if he shut his, turned his lights off or shut his garage door, so he opened an app on his phone and was like, oh, yep, I did. I'm good. <laughs> I mean, just look at this little rectangular device that has a screen. 20 years ago, had a cord on it. Was char you were charged by the minute, and all you could do was talk and listen. You couldn't even see the person. I mean, it's crazy. I can show you my 1998 Qualcomm with the extender antenna that you could do curls with. I mean, it was, but we never have this very far from us. It's either in a pocket or a purse or in our hand. In fact, you can Google some of the statistics about how often people pull these out and look at them. And there are some amazing benefits. Like I was on the Bible app the last six weeks with some of my college friends. We've been reading the Bible together and commenting on it and doing a devotion and sharing our insights, and it's been great. I mean, that's technology lets us, enables us to see things that we've never seen, where we've never been before. It helps us connect to people we've never met, and it helps us reconnect with people from our past or far away. It's got some wonderful, wonderful benefits. But like I mentioned, it can distract us. It can distract us from Jesus being central to our lives. And if we use it too much or are too consumed by it, it can actually rob us of what God values most. Our scripture today came from uh, a book that's just focused on Jesus. It's Matthew. And it was when the religious leaders were trying to test and trap him. So when he was asked what the greatest, most important commandment is, Mary did it well, Jesus said, love God, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. It's the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Puts two together. Love your neighbor as yourself. So love God all the time with every part of yourself and love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, I, I just think that's brilliant. Jesus is simple. He's clear. He's somewhat maddening to people. That's why I think I think we like to complicate it sometimes. We like to find the loopholes. Well, you know, that's what they did in Scripture. Well, who's my neighbor? Well, how much love do I have to show? Well, how far does it go? And somehow we complicate it. Now, before we get to Jesus' clarification of it, uh, I just want us to consider how technology is changing the way we view relationships and changing the way that we view uh, our neighbors, our friends, and our community. Like, for example... I think the meaning of friend is completely shifting because a friend used to mean someone that you spend time with, that you hung out with, that you, I don't know, watched movies, went to the store together, um, did stuff with. I mean, it was rare that a neighbor wasn't a friend. My mom, at least for me, when I was growing up, my, all my friends were basically my neighbors because my parents didn't drive me anywhere. 
especially in the summer, they're like, go outside, find some friends, go play, come home for dinner, or find lunch. Um, but today, a friend can be someone you've never met, someone that follows what you post, pin, snap, say, or tweet in Instagram, Pinterest, Snapchat, Facebook, or Twitter. And if you look at the statistics, I posted some of them at the end of the week, there are four, there's a point to me sharing these statistics, there are 4.2 billion internet users in the world today. There's like seven some billion people, but 4.2 billion people in the world today that use the internet. Over three billion of them actively use social media worldwide Almost 40% of the online population uses Facebook. 72% of adults in the United States visit Facebook once a month, at least the ones that are online. 71% of Americans now use Instagram. 78% of Americans 18 to 24 use Snapchat. And I'm like, how do you snap? My kids are showing me. Now, my point in this is that the, since Facebook is still the oldest one, I think it's important to know that um, the average American has, or the average person in the world has 155 friends on Facebook. In America, the, the median uh, American amount of Facebook friends is 200. So somewhere between 150 and 200 online friends. Yet, if you ask the average American how many close friends they have, any guesses? Two, down from six 25 or 30 years ago. We used to have six close friends 25 or 30 years ago, but we didn't have cell phones or social media 25 or 30 years ago. I just find that interesting. Now, here's the sad part though. One quarter of Americans say they have zero close friends, none. So I think the meaning of friend is shifting. The, also, though, I think technology makes it harder than ever to be authentic. I mean, on average, people have more than five different social media accounts. They spend almost two hours a day on social media. About 15 minutes, uh, the average user spends on Instagram, about 25 on Snapchat, about 35 on Facebook. And, and what do they post? Uh, this thing called selfies, most of the time. My, sis my daughter was driving, I was driving my kids to church today, and one of them is like, oh, I gotta get a selfie in today. Oh, and all my streaks were ruined. I'm like, wait, you're streaking? No, Dad, no one calls it streaking. It's streaks. Yeah, if you don't go in and check into the app and reply to your friends within 24 hours, then you lose all of this great status. Who knew? I mean, and... Not just posting pictures, like now you have to put filters on. Does everyone know what a filter is? It's all right if you don't. It's this little overlay that you add to your pictures to make them somehow better or brighter or sharper or black and white or, um, you know, dim or gingham, I guess. Gingham's one of the filters that you can put on. And then, you know, you can even take out the red eye. You can remove pimples or wrinkles or arm flab or, or give yourself muscles. I mean... When I was a kid and you took your picture, like, you were stuck with that picture. <laughs> In seventh grade, I had a hair don't, not a hair do. I mean, it was just the lady grabbed the plastic comb and she's like, oh, it looks like your hair's a little messed up. <laughs> Straight down across the front, tilts my head, smile. 
And that, I, like, that's what I had to live with. That's what we had. Now, if you don't have the perfect filter with the perfect caption for the maximum number of hearts or likes, it's like, you know, life's over. But the point I'm sharing it is we say, this is the filtered me I want you to see. And so it's harder than ever to be authentic. Because the more filtered we become, again, the more difficult it is. And then when we look at someone else's highlight reel and we compare it to our actual life, we get disappointed, which makes us just want to filter it more. I mean, most people say, I show the good parts of myself online, not the real parts. So people might not even know the real you. And the last thing I think that is important to note, just as we look at what it means to love God and love others in a selfie-centered world, is that we have more control in relationships than ever before. Like, if my friend Steve texts me, I can, one, choose to read and respond, two, choose to read and not respond till later, or three, totally ignore it. And that's normal. If my friend posts something on Instagram, I have the power to determine if it's worthy of a heart. And if I'm kind of ticked off at them because, you know, they did something to me, I can just scroll past that new outfit picture or that vacation picture or that dinner picture or that beautiful plate of food or that first day of school and nope, you don't get a haha, a like, a love, a wow, or a sad, or my favorite, angry. <laughs> and if people keep posting like ads for protein shakes or videos of how buff they are or one too many duck face selfies, then you can just unfriend them or unfollow them. You have unbelievable control in this thing that we call relationships. It's changed. And yet I think God's word continues to not change, to forever speak into our world and our lives. And Jesus wants us to reimagine community as well. When he answers this question about loving God with all of our heart all the time, every part of ourself and loving our neighbor as ourself, I, I mean, I think that he still speaks that true today. He clarifies it when he's at the end of his life, he's going to give his life in John 13, and he's just with his disciples, and he wants to share what it means to love God and love others. He says in John 13, 34 and 35, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. How many times love one another, love one another? Four times in two sentences that's listed. It must be important if he's continuing to say that. If you love one another as Jesus loves you, then everyone will know that you're his disciples. So how do we love each other in this selfie-centered world? I think the first way is by showing up, by being present, face-to-face, -face, actually being with people. Jesus, before he gives this instruction to love one another, he had dinner with them. It was a special dinner. It was a sacred dinner. They were face-to-face -to -face together. They were breaking, literally breaking bread together. They were drinking wine together. They were sharing stories together. They were recalling God's goodness together. Nobody Instagrammed their food. If they did, they only brought one phone, and it was the designated selfie taker. Like, everyone else left their phones at home. That's how much they cared about each other. 
or if they didn't bring their phones, they just were present. And Jesus didn't just talk about his love, he shows his love. At the beginning of the chapter in John 13, 1, it says that he showed them the extent of his love, and then he did one of the dirtiest and lowliest tasks. He washed the disciples' feet. He didn't shout his love from heaven. He showed his love on earth. He didn't put a selfie, Jesus fishy on his car. Some of us shouldn't put a Jesus fish on our car because we don't drive like we love each other. I'm a better driver because I have a restoration sticker on my car. At least I think I'm doing well. He didn't say, you know, if you attend church and smile at people, then they'll know you're my followers. He just showed them his love. He was face-to-face with them. Now, imagine if someone is sick or hurting and you care about them in your life. Don't send a sad face emoji. If you want to be average, then send them a text. Hey, I'm praying for you. Now, don't lie. If you're not praying for them, then don't say I'm praying for them. But don't just say I'm thinking of you, because what does that even mean? But if you want to be average, send a text. If you want to be good, give them a call. There's, there's buttons on the screen when you hit the phone icon, and it still works as a phone. If you want a video, it's okay. You can do that. It's called FaceTime or whatever hangouts. If you want to be good, you can call the person. If you want to be great, you just drive over to their house and you sit with them. And if they're hurting, it's probably better not even to say anything. You don't need to say anything. Just the fact that you're there. I mean, because when someone is hurting, the thing that they're feeling is that they're completely alone and no one understands. So you show up and you've already committed yourself to the reality that they're not alone. I, I think this happened for me in one of our first small groups at Restoration. We had a couple who we'd already known for a few years, and, and we didn't know them and were close to them because we had kids that were the same age and we were married about the same time. It was actually because when they had a surprise fourth child and she went into preterm labor, I was the second phone call. And he started explaining to me that, that babies started coming and they couldn't stop it. They rushed him to the hospital and the little guy doesn't make it. And so kind of without thinking, I said, what hospital? I'm on my way. And I raced down, mostly by speed limits, to the hospital. And his parents were the first ones there and they walked in just ahead of me. And I see my friend holding this two and a half pound stillborn son. And his wife was being sewn up and literally like fighting for her life. So I just came over and I put my arm around him and I cried. And I know sometimes I get emotional, you know, you can see that. When his wife came out of surgery, we cried too, and it was like, it wasn't this. It was like the ugly crying, you know, with the snot and the sniffling and the snorting and, the, you know. I don't even know if I prayed. I'm not sure if I said anything. But they were incredibly thankful. If you just show up in someone's life and are present, 
they will be thankful. Haven't always gotten it right, but I'm learning that. Be present. I think the other thing that Jesus is saying when he's saying love God with everything you are and love each other as I have loved you is to be engaged, to be all there. That's, he's not just saying love each other like you think is best. He's saying love each other as I have loved you. One of Jesus' followers put it this way in Romans 12, 9. Don't just pretend to love each other. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Cling to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. So ever come home but not really been home? On the phone or in a screen or thinking about something from work? And you're there but you're not really there. I'm, I guess I'm the only one. Or your silence is guilt. It's okay. It's okay. God takes care of guilt. One of the best things my wife and I did when we moved into this house that we're living in now four years ago is we said, nobody comes through the, into the kitchen on the phone. The kitchen is right connected to the entry, which is connected to the garage. So you could be in the garage. You can be in the, the laundry room, entry room, but you can't come in on the phone or in a text conversation or doing work. You have to stay outside. And sometimes we'll be out there for 10 or 15 minutes. Where, where's mom? Uh, she must still have a phone call to take care of. It's been amazing. Uh, much to my kids' frustration, we have a charging station in our kitchen. And so I've told you before, if you need to call me in the middle of the night, you better call because I leave the ringer on, but I don't look at my text messages. The phone is downstairs, and I won't hear a beep for a text, but I'll hear the phone eventually if you just keep calling me. And if you need to, that's fine. But nobody brings their phone. Everyone has a cheap alarm clock, too. So if you're like, my phone is my alarm, you can have an alarm clock. Um, that's not from the Word of God. That's just my opinion. <laughs> if you've gone out to eat lately, watched anniversary dinners, or just families sitting at a restaurant enjoying each other's company, Or, or, I mean, they're, they're together, but they're not together. They're alone together. I watched a grandma take her little granddaughter out. She looked about nine, and she was wearing a fancy dress, and you could tell that, the granddaughter, uh, you could tell that she thought this was special, and as they're sitting there, every couple of minutes, like, I would hear a beep, a buzz, and the grandma would, oh, and she'd pull out her phone, and she'd smile, and she'd text them, and then she'd go back. She'd talk to the granddaughter again, and then the grand grandmother would get another beep, and she would stop. And the granddaughter's still talking, and she's just start turns and doing this. And I just saw the granddaughter slowly, slowly shut down. I mean, the person that's in front of us that we're present with actually is created by God and loved by him and should be important to us. So, and I, I don't know why, because it's a little screen, we feel like 
it's got special powers. Because if you were having coffee with someone and they were talking to you and all of a sudden they pulled out a notebook and started writing down like carton of eggs, milk, cereal, fruit. Oh, sorry. I just started thinking about my grocery list. I thought I'd write it down. So go back to your story. And so they start talking to you again and they're getting to this meaningful part and all of a sudden someone walks through the door of the coffee shop. Oh, hey, how are you? And gives you a hug and says, Hi, oh yeah, I'm ta talking to someone, so a couple minutes go by, and then, you know, say, oh, keep going, all right. And they listen for 10 more minutes, and then, oh, they pull a, a, a book out of their backpack, and it's got a bookmark, and they read a couple pages, oh, sorry, set it back down. He would be like, this is a, this is a really bad friend. But if it has a screen, then it's somehow okay. Be engaged, physically present, emotionally there, mentally engaged, maybe even spiritually engaged. And that's what Jesus, I think, is getting at when he's going through and telling his disciples his closing, his closing and sending remarks as he's about to go to the cross. He says, love each other as I have loved you. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you love each other. He's, he goes on to say, greater love has none than this, that the one would lay down their life for their friend. I don't know if we need to lay down our life. There might be a time, but I think what he's saying is be sacrificially involved with each other. That would be my third way to say that. If you want to love each other, love others like Jesus loved, you wouldn't just be present or be engaged, but you'd be involved. You'd be involved in a way that, that costs you something. It means that when you show up and people are sharing, it means that you might share something that's real and relevant and, and now in your life, not just something that happened a long, long time ago that it, I'm safe from. You know, I think if you think about the book of Acts, uh, that story of the apostles, the, the people who followed Jesus after he died and rose again, there were people, authorities that were saying, Jesus didn't really rise, they stole his body, this is a lie. I mean, they were trying actively to say, don't talk about Jesus, don't keep spreading that rumor, and, and they sometimes were successful in quieting people down, and sometimes they weren't successful in quieting people down. But the one thing that they could not deny was the way that Jesus' followers loved each other. I mean, the Bible says that they would sell their possessions, they would, they would give to others in such a way that there were no needy people among them. Imagine what that would have been like. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teachings about Jesus. They prayed together. They fellowshiped together. They met in their homes and at the religious centers. They, the authorities had no response to this. Like, well, I know we're trying to shut down Jesus, but we can't shut this down because it just keeps happening. Hebrews 10 says it this way, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect meeting together as some do, but let us encourage one another, especially now as the day is drawing near. 
think if you're honest, some of you want more than you have now. You want more closer friends or a deeper sense of community or this, this reality that, that there would be more than two or three that are for you. That you want to think of ways to motivate one another and be motivated by others. To encourage each other. To be with people who open up the Bible with you and laugh with you and maybe cry with you and pray with you. Not just pray for you, but pray with you. Who serve with you, who encourage you. That's Christ-centered, authentic community. It's when we're connected spiritually and relationally, not just to Jesus, but to some other people. And it's messy. It's hard. It's a sacrifice because it's people, and we're messy, and we're not perfect, and we don't always get it right. But yet, in the midst of it, Jesus is there. It says, Jesus says that when Two or three are gathered in my name. I am there with them. See, we can manage our online interactions all day, but when you get face-to-face and soul-to-soul and heart-to-heart, transformation happens. Eternal life happens. We are better together. It's not just a cliche. Our group of churches says that we're in it together. At Restoration, we say, be in a small group. This is where this happens. We actually call some of our small groups life groups because life happens. We share things about each other and about ourselves and about God's word, and we pray for each other in a way that transformation happens. I watched somebody share a story about her dear friend she met in a small group. Hey, I miss your witty texts. I miss getting to talk to you on the phone. But you're not far from my heart because I know God is healing you. That's what happens in a small group. That's what happens when you say yes to being present and being engaged and being involved. God does something. And I pray that the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now about what it means for you to take a step towards him and towards each other. Maybe it's that you do need to be in a small group. And we have different types of groups for different seasons. So you can take a look. I think there's an insert in our worship folder today. Maybe you need one of those types of groups. Maybe you need to put your phone down at a certain time at night. Maybe you need to have a community charger. Maybe you need to stop texting your spouse while you're in bed with them. (laughs) If you're married. I've heard it happens. Not bring your phones to dinner. I pray you'd listen to where God is speaking to you because we can't love others really truly if we haven't received the love of Jesus from God himself. So as the band comes up, would you just... Consider what it means that the radical, audacious, unconditional, never-ending, sacrificial love of Jesus has come into our lives. Maybe you don't 
know Jesus right now, but you can't deny the ways that people who claim him have loved you. Maybe not perfectly, but they have loved you. They have encouraged you. And God, I pray that, that you would show us what it means to take a step forward, to be present and to be engaged and to be involved, not just with you, God, but with people. Because you say to love you is to love others. But we have to receive that love from you in order for us to truly love ourselves and love those around us like you've loved. So I pray, God, that we would receive your love, Jesus. We would know that you lived the perfect life, that you died the sacrificial death, and you rose again to say that I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. God, I pray that we would come to you, through you, for you, and with you. Amen.